0: our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to the podcast. You know, I, I even I tripped over that one. I was. I completely forgot after I said it that she was going to say recording in
2: progress. <laughs> I'll never get used to it. Anyway. Pretty good. Pretty good.
0: Welcome back to the podcast. It is Grognar the Young, the Young Grognar, kicking it to you with another episode of the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign with the Adventure Lords and the Quest vengeance our party in the last episode had made it to the quarry dale i don't even know what to call those people i had a term for it at one point the quarry folk that's what it is the uh gnomes and the halflings of uh quarry dale you guys had made it to uh a meeting with the oligarchic major you know major crassy the the little center leadership position here you guys are in the hall of the uh, many colors there with the uh council of the staff uh you had already met your boy aldo um the halfling very old man very very forgetful very interesting and strange as well as the different seven colored uh gnomes who all seemed to be magical uh in the last meeting uh an alliance was brokered between the dwarves of the hall and the uh folk of the quarrydale and at this point um i guess to spare very little time here uh the party had agreed that now was the time for vengeance and with so much tumult and war on the horizon, the time to earn back some territory was now. But the council sort of left on that note of vengeance with everybody smiling in the council and everybody sort of being in this state of like optimism, like we can do this, this is the time, we can win this thing. And then everybody sort of kind of waited for somebody else to jump up with a plan. And everybody awkwardly, all the gnomes just awkwardly sit there looking back at one another, And Aldo at one point just kind of reclines back on his palms while sitting down and starts making a bubble popping noise with his mouth and a single bubble, the shape of a duck flies out of his mouth and he hiccups and he says, well, I've never seen that one before. It's usually a hippo and I've never seen a hippo. And with that silence hangs in the air and the council just kind of look back and forth and look at you guys and say, as the, uh, the leader in the red there sits forward and he says, Mr. Rudaloo here, he leans forward and says, is there any chance you guys have an idea of what we should be doing next? Because we don't know how bad the hall looks. And if we're to do something about this, we're going to have to be strategic because as he looks around the room and sees all the other, not pudgy, but they're definitely a bunch of very comfortable gnomes in here. And he looks back and forth at everybody and says, we've done well living diplomatically and comfortably. So warfare is not something we're readily willing to deal with. Perhaps you have some ideas.
1: Well, the best thing that I could think of would be to ...strategically and swiftly occupy the upper halls, while at the same time, you know, collapsing any entrances to the lower halls. I have no idea how the Drugar found their way into the halls in the first place.
0: And so with that, one of the gnomes chime in and they say, Well, if it is truly drugar which I don't doubt for one bit, they'll find their way in. They have mighty psionic magics to them, and they'd find a way, one way or another... Closing the halls off would be good, but I think if we plan to get some sort of revenge that'll stick, we need to make it a point that we do it well, and we do it with finality. And you can see some of them sort of tighten up a little bit after hearing such a macabre statement roll out of a small little gnome voice.
1: I agree, but it would take something truly spectacular and horrible in order to send them the correct message. Something uh, so, and so who are greater than what the Herald did to the dwarves who attempted to defend the halls in the first place.
0: And so with that one of them leans forward a little bit in his chair, the uh, the yellow mage here and says, hey, you know, that's not a bad idea. I mean, if what your story you said earlier was true about the halls and all of that, maybe we deal them a bit of the same cards that they dealt us. And with that, he starts waggling a finger and another one says, oh, I think I know what you're saying about that. He says, perhaps vengeance could be served reflexively, maybe an equal reaction for what they have given us before. And one of the female gnomes here on the council leans forward and she sort of says, true, true, but perhaps they'll be ready for such an occasion. Do you think that the Duergar would be so foolish as to not expect us to use their own tactics against them?
1: Would they be so foolish? Probably not. Um, But I'm uh, under the impression that it is the only language that they will understand.
0: And so with that, Aldo just kind of looks back and forth at the rest of the three of you who are not speaking. And he pulls out of his pocket a few more of the wax candies. And he says, these
1: people are very
2: boring. Klika also pulls some of the wax candies she's been saving. Just
0: it's like those like nickel-nip things, but instead they're like all full of honey. Yeah, and, and then she trades
2: yeah. any of the ones that got melty and gross for the good ones that he's holding. Just makes a quick swap. <laughs> Winks.
3: Anton chuckles, but then he kind of looks around. And he mutters and he looks toward Northam and He's and then he looks at Jarzak. looks at and He's like, "Well, there may be another way. Uh, you might say a diplomatic way." The Dwarger weren't there just to settle the Dwarven home. They were looking for something. I don't know what that something is. But maybe if that whatever it is is found, they could leave.
0: And so with that, they, they all sort of look back and forth at one another and they start to nod their heads agreeably thinking diplomacy is what gets these wee folk where they are good trading and acceptance and inclusivity as what's given them such a comfortable place here on the coast in comparison to every fucking buddy else who has had quite a miserable time here with the Herald of Steel. Uh, Was Jarzak going to say something?
1: Uh, Yeah, but what if what they're looking for is real bad for everyone else?
0: the gnomes all together begin to like, from that nodding position, all slowly wriggling back in their seats like, oh yeah.
3: Regardless, we should know if whatever it is is that important and if, if, it, if it's been, if I can recall correctly, if it's been in the dwarven halls for years, they're not going to leave without it, good or bad.
0: And so everybody in the hall pretty much turns to a norhill and they say, what is it that they would have hidden? And why is it so well hidden that they wouldn't have found it? What are they looking for, Dwarf?
1: That's a very good question. And unfortunately, I have no idea. Well, whatever they shot, it was, you know, down in the mines. Uh, Mines have been, you know, played out and closed since, you know, my old father was a boy.
0: And so they all just begin to kind of chatter amongst themselves. Uh, The general vibe in the room being like, this is a load of barnacles and people are seeming to be a little bit more perturbed by this lack of understanding as if diplomacy was the best decision, but this has been tattered to pieces and now there's no hope for that.
1: And even if we could find whatever it is they shot, I wouldn't trust such a piece to last. The hatred between our peoples runs deep and long out of memory they'd eventually find some other reason to make war upon us.
0: And with that, one of the gnomes chimes in again. The red, rude, leans forward and he says, but perhaps that's just enough time for us to get our holding to create a bit more defense, prepare ourselves for something like that to happen. If it's so inevitable, we can be more prepared knowing it has to happen. But again, he says, as much as I wish to do this, and far be it from me to go against the Gnomish customs of diplomacy and friendship, I agree that the Dugar will eventually do something again. They will not be happy so long as the dwarves have comfort. But still, it is very strange that they would be looking for something in the halls. Perhaps one of your kin knows something. And if not, perhaps somewhere in the library, somewhere deep within the dwarven hall, we may find some information. And with that, the yellow chimes in again and leans forward and says, now, now, they can't go in there. That's a dangerous place. And they all kind of look towards Norhill and the rest of the party with a nodding, like, right, kind of look to them.
1: Right. In order to search the libraries, we would have to retake the halls anyway. I can certainly, you know, spread the word amongst my people, see if anybody knows anything.
0: And at this point, Aldo pulls out a pipe from his, like, beard and starts to stoke it with a bunch and starts to fill it with a bunch of dank little hash she's looking stuff there and he just starts getting ready to start lighting up in here and the gnomes all look to him like slowly over time as if they all start to notice little tiny smoke tufts coming out and the Aldo starts to cough a bit to himself and looks to pass it over to Klika.
2: hmm uh takes a big old rip.
0: Oh no! And so with that, the gnomes all just kind of mouth a gape, look down at you, and they say, um, "Elder one, Aldo." And he, <coughs> yes, right. What were you saying? And they say, "Perhaps you can wait until after such an important meeting." And with that, Aldo looks over at you, and he takes his pipe back. And he says, you know, you really picked a bad time. And he stuffs it back into his beard and looks to them all and he says, I apologize, but unfortunately you're all very boring for me and my friend here. And they like all look a, over at
2: Kleeka with disdain. Terrified to exhale, so smoke is just slowly pouring out of her nose and mouth. Just... <laughs> just like dry ice spilling over, you know?
0: And with a few uncomfortable blinks, very dramatically, they all turn back towards Nora Hill and Anton and Jarzak, and they start to say again, okay, so if diplomacy's not on the table, and it's not feasible that we'd be able to find out what they want and be able to find it better than they could, perhaps we must take on more drastic and dramatic means. How sizable were their forces? And uh, many of the gnomes kind of like mouths go agape with a gasp as they look and hear this.
1: Significant, uh, you know, enough to occupy both halls uh, and hold all of its sections. Um, However, my bigger concern (laughs) is about the forces that we could. (laughs) Uh, With a big enough army, almost anything can be done, but. I'm not sure that we can muster the forces to stand up against any significant resistance in the halls. They're very defendable.
0: And with that, the blue gnome speaks for it and he says, Our alchemists have among them the power to do many things that nobody would understand. If you would be so bold as to allow us to help you with that, perhaps you wouldn't need an army. I'm sure with some sort of mechanized device, we could find a way to get them out of the halls just fine. And many people look to him with a look of almost like, I don't know, as if the Crypt Keeper just kind of walked in and said something to them, with a lot less rhyming, strange puns. Um, and with that, everybody kind of looks back towards you guys as if trying to gauge how you feel about this borderline mention of like, I don't know, weapons of mass destruction, being crafted
1: is that like an unheard of concept uh in in this world then or is it like i
0: mean i would say that as far as gnomish ingenuity goes you guys haven't been around gnomes for a long time but seeing like how well their cities are constructed and how wild their magics are it doesn't seem far from what you guys could expect that they would have the capacities to construct things like that again having gone to Boltzcrag peak and seen that like weird electro techno haven it's definitely outside not outside the realm of possibility that they would have the ability to craft such devices right
1: right okay so i'd be happy to hear what you can come up with
0: and with that the Cablop the blue sort of leans back and he kind of blows out his bottom lip and he says, Pfft. "I mean, honestly, at this point, we could pull off any number of feats. It's just a matter of what we have available. If ever I've learned anything about the tides of war and winning battles through our alchemical means, kobolds are no match when we out when we can use their own environs against them." They are very tactile and they're very tactful and and smart and they understand many things about their environment. But if we can turn that landscape against them, they stand no chance. So my suggestion if one at all is we find out how we can implement their environment against them. And one of the gnomes on the council stands up and says this is crude, this is rude, and I won't stand for it. As he sits down abruptly. (laughs) as he sits down abruptly, realizing the irony of standing to say such a thing. And with that, the blue kind of raises a hand and he says, and what would you have us do? March in there with our gnomes? Our children? March in there with the haggard force of dwarves we've brought? Perhaps these four would do just fine by themselves. And he just kind of like waves his hand at you guys.
1: You could just wait and see uh, what kind of thing they're looking for. And uh, maybe, maybe it'll be good and we'll all have fun. Yeah, that's what you can do, bud.
0: <laughs> well, there's that good old Jarzak optimism for it. <laughs> and with that he just raises an eyebrow. They all start to look at you very incredulously and they say, I-, I mean, not to quote the dwarf here, the the Lord of the Hall even said himself that this could be a weapon of great power itself. And perhaps if we're getting into an arcane item battle, perhaps we should come equipped with our own weapons before we find that we waited too long for the wrong outcome. So with you guys having been the last ones in the hall and having spent enough time down there and learned some things, what sort of things do we have at our disposal?
2: Um... There were rocks.
1: Most everything uh, re- remains intact. All of the infrastructure is still there. Uh, some of the guardians of the plane of Earth uh, still haunt the halls as well. And almost everything is connected to everything else. So even from the lower halls one can, uh, that haven't been used in centuries, uh, one can make their way up into the current living quarters. If you know where to go.
0: Cabalop sort of leans forward again, Cabalop the Blue, and he says, Now, would I be safe to say that many of these halls are interconnected in a way that's more than just hallways, perhaps aqueducts, and perhaps ventilation shafts and the like? Of course.
1: That's how we got it
0: ourselves. Well, that answers the question. And I think we have our answer. And he sits back smugly with his hands across his little belly. So, and so, so, shut the water off? Is that what you're saying? No! Not at all. Shut Leave the, the water air off. off. No, again, <laughs> wrong. So, with that, the, the one in violet robes kind of leans forward and says, Then say what it is, you rube. And with that, the one in blue says, Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if it's all interconnected, and we made some sort of alchemical gas device, something perhaps deadly, or perhaps something to convince them that the halls aren't worth protecting, maybe we could win just enough time to get back in and defense enough positions that they don't think to come back. And again, yeah, many of them, them straight, out. Yeah, you, you see Gears kind of turning amongst the council as one of them chimes in and says, while I do disapprove of the Duergar, there is something very unsettling about such destruction of life and with that he says I can't really stand on a council with the belief that murdering off many like that would be any better than what they've done to us is your home in the hall not the same as whatever object they're looking for at this point justifying killing them off just to get what is apparently rightfully yours
1: yeah uh, and not only did they uh, attack our homes in a senseless act of war you know they've also allied themselves with a strange immortal being from you know lands uh, beyond mortal understanding and whatever it is they're looking for i agree certainly cannot be good and uh, always remember that you know they shot uh, they shot first uh, taking advantage of you know, the unfair otherworldly powers that they had access to. It's certainly something that they would remember.
0: Well, and kind of sits back a little bit with that information. And so Kablop says, the best I can offer is if we are to create something that'll flush them out, we need to flush them out for one of a couple reasons. Either we make the world inhospitable to them, Or we attempt to kill them outright. And frankly, I don't know that I have enough power to actually kill them outright. I don't know that we have enough compounds that could do that. And if we did, it would probably render the halls inhospitable, if not forever, for the dwarves for a long, long time. So, again, I hope perhaps there's something we can use down there that perhaps we could take advantage of to maybe give us some leverage. And one of them chimes in again and says, now I I also think the dwarf spoke true when he said something to the effect of turning the tables on them with a similar tool. If if rumors are correct about that gold dragon from long ago, then, right? And you see one of the older ones on the council shaking his head and saying, we don't speak of that dragon. That is not of our concern. And they all go kind of quiet for a second and all heads kind of revolve back over to you guys. And they say, perhaps there's something we can do regarding, well, explain their daily living. How, how exactly do the Durgar keep themselves alive down there? They're not exactly the working type unless pushed to such a place. But you said it was a military order down there. So it makes sense that they would not be the ones doing the work. Who does the lifting for them now that the dwarves are gone?
1: Whatever other taken slaves that they happen to have.
0: And they all kind of look back and forth at one another and think to themselves, what other slaves would be living down in the dwarvish hall?
1: Well, we were, when we were marching through Amaroth, we saw them take a significant number of human slaves, though I saw none. Uh, while we were fighting their warlord in the halls. They must have taken them either deeper down or elsewhere.
2: Well, what about Aspie and Baspie and caspi and Daspie and Yaspie and then Klica goes through every one of well, them. Yeah,
1: no, uh, Klicka is <laughs> right. Uh, they were also using the native Ashpies of the mountains to do work for them. And with that they, sorry, go ahead.
3: So oh, Anton just thinking he's thinking of the last fight they had. He said there were other things in there too. I don't know if they were slaves, but other creatures we you don't encounter often. Things. Are you talking there. about?
0: Are you talking about those bug things?
3: No, I'm talking about the doppelganger and the mind flayer.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you don't know about the mind flayer. Only Jarzak saw something, right? Was well, yeah. that the
3: case? Oh, yeah. Scar- never mind. Jarzak never said that. anything. Scratch that.
0: Yeah. I'm just double checking. When you say other things, I'm like, well, let's qualify. Yeah, but at um,
1: least yeah, the yeah, but, yeah when... That's true. That's true. Or yeah. at least as you know, I when... thought, cannibal
3: dwarves.
1: Yeah. And so with that, when Anton says that, there was a doppelganger living in the lower halls, but I was under the impression that that was unconnected to the Draugr. Uh just, uh, j- j- just an errant monster, you know, taking up a home where it could.
0: You see a couple of the gnomes on the council start to shrug a little bit and pull back into their seats and say, yeah, I mean, probably just a, a, a strange aberrant monster that found its way down there for no particular reason. And with that, one of the other ones on the council looks over and says, the floating city of Atheria has landed in the far north. We're not exactly sure where, but many strange things have come from them since the council of sorcerers has landed. It's impossible for us to say how far the reach has gone and for what reason, but they probably came from there if anywhere. Wait. I hope that this is a strange uh, statement. <laughs> yeah,
1: anything, but... uh, floating city, is that a thing that our characters know about?
0: We if went you to have... a floating castle once. I mean, if you have, it's something from a history check or an arcana check.
1: Sorry.
3: History,
0: yeah. History or arcana, those two are, are game. I
1: only got a nine history,
2: though.
3: 20 history for
2: for history. I got a 21 history, but I can also roll arcana.
0: I mean, you guys both know that there is some strange magical city that somehow through historical documentation has been known to like exist and then also disappear without a trace. But wherever it goes and lands, it's kind of like UFOs where it leaves like just such a weird like ripple effect of strange magics and odd things in its wake. But apparently it's touched ground in the far northern islands, something far north of, you know, Cooperford and the shore and all that. So it's hearing this is kind of remarkable as if like a major historical event. But it's also I don't know really dangerous and it's definitely not the kind of thing anybody wants to have happen because it's usually not associated with anything good uh the the high sorcerers who rule the the floating city itself uh happen to care very little for morality and ethics and care a lot more about their own personal drives their own inner politics of their council and their own business so it's definitely not something that's good to hear about and hearing that doppelgangers are just kind of showing up in in town and like finding little hidey holes they're probably the least of your concern of what crawls out from the floating city but with a 21 and a 20 historically you know that the city itself is cursed to kind of just bebop in and out of like the realms of existence for some weird magical reason and so it just kind of poofs into random places and they do their best to make use of that space when they've got it. So it's, it's scary with how unpredictable and powerful that place is. But, yeah. In any case, with that, they say, if there are strange creatures that live within that place, I find it hard to believe we could do anything to manipulate them into our bidding. And with that, the blue mage kind of shrugs a little bit and he says... I mean, with the right kind of pheromones, the right kind of controlled substances, we can make anybody do anything. And everybody looks over at the mage in the red for a second, and the mage in the red begins to blush very, very firmly. And they say, why? You remember what happened the last summer harvest? And he kind of shrugs a little bit in his robes and he says, point taken, many things are possible. And so with that, they turn to you guys and they say, who is Aspie, Baspie, Caspi, Daspie, Eastpie and all the rest?
1: The Aspids are a species of reclusive insectoids that tunnel their way through the mountains and live in colonies.
0: Well, we're very well aware of that. Just the fact that they were named made us believe that perhaps you had met something more than just a bunch of named bugs. Clearly, you know, these bugs don't have some sort of complex language all to themselves and really just rely on pheromones itself.
1: Well, I I don't know we can name them.
2: (laughs) Well... Cleekha was talking to them, and so she decided they needed a name.
1: And they
0: all start to chuckle and giggle to themselves like a pack of Keebler elves. And with that, one of them chimes in and says, How on earth did a goblin speak to, a, to an aspis? Did you, did you, what, were, were you letting out some flatulence of command? And they all start to giggle to themselves again.
3: That's rude. Uh,
0: and Elva I- chimes in and he says, You got flatulence to talk? That's pretty neat. My Uh, flash lens usually just clears a room.
2: Here, I might have
0: one of those ready. Aldo begins to lift his leg. uh,
2: So I think in response to, you know, their taunts and stuff, Klikka will tap into that ability to speak any language and then just uh, clap back and perfect uh, Gnomish. It's you know it's not that hard to understand people when you don't look down on them
0: and with that one of them chimes back in goblin still wiping a couple of tears back and says back to him and says but anybody can learn a language if they're surrounded by the culture the question is how it is that you're able to speak with your pheromones
2: clicker just wanted to talk to them so she could
0: and with that they all just look back and forth at one another, confused, and they say, "Perhaps she's found some glands that she could get excretions from." Did you squeeze the glands of an aspis?
2: Clica mm, doesn't think so. They did. Aldo, Aldo her leans a bunch. in and says,
0: "Aldo leans in and says, you can be honest with them.'"
2: No, Clica just got tickled with the feely bits
0: that they all look back and forth at one another and they say,
2: you know, that's not a terrible idea,
0: though. Those glands wouldn't be too hard to to properly squeeze out and get from them. Yeah. E- uh, but I guess we would need some sort of gland that we can manipulate. And so they all start to kind of chatter amongst themselves, throwing around weird, not, like pseudo magical scientific f- vernacular. And eventually one of them chimes in and says, the queen, easy. We just have to find the queen of the aspis." Clearly, if we can get a distress hormone into a pheromone, create some sort of gaseous expressor, we'd be able to create some sort of a smoke bomb that would send all the aspas inside of the entire compound into a frenzy of murderous state. Easy! That'd be good. Yeah. So long as you don't care about what happens to aspas, I guess. It's really not that big a deal.
1: They certainly wouldn't expect any kind of slave revolt, especially not from that source. No. Well,
0: not again. Probably not. You never, as they look over to Click and they say, you never commanded them where any of them could have seen you doing that, right? The Duergar wouldn't have noticed you talking with your butt at them.
2: Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, some of them saw them, but we threw a lot of rocks at them.
0: Oh, well, that does that, I guess. <laughs> I guess if that's yeah, right. But with that, they say, as the one who chimed in before and, and made it a comment that they wouldn't stand by and let innocents die or be the one to allow that sort of thing, this gnome sort of crosses their arms firm across their chest and says, again, how can you all be so quick to throw an entire species against their will into fighting? You're no better than they are. Did they, Aspies, ever fight against you guys at any point during
2: that? Uh, yeah, at one point. They, for they for were... a brief
1: few moments, yes.
2: So then how can
0: you justify doing exactly what they did? Are you not enlisting to Aspies as your slaves in your own right?
2: I mean, Kleecker could ask again. <laughs> Well, in what way would they be
0: willing to fight that same war? What, are you going to go ask the Queen for permission?
2: Yeah, Klikka could try that. Do you think that the Queen would allow you to just
0: march in and then ask for permission to start an entire war against the Durgar?
2: Um, well, her people are being used as slaves, as it is, and also in to fight, so... It's not going to be that different. It would just be one big one instead of a bunch of small ones forever. And
0: so that, that same gnome crosses their arms and looks down at all three of you, and I'm uh, sorry, four of you, and says, well, again, why is it that you felt so comfortable sending them to their deaths? Why did you think that was okay? Because they don't speak? Because they don't have feelings like we do? Is that the difference? Because again... The one thing that really separates these two groups, I mean, makes them very similar, is the fact that the Duergar and the Aspis are both very much so utilitarians. They don't care about their losses. They just wish to get what they want. So if you think the Queen's going to care at all about those Aspis that have been used for slave labor,
2: she won't. She does not care. But if they don't care, then do we have to care for them?
0: Well, I don't know. It just. I study philosophy. I don't have an answer to anything.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not seeing a a whole lot of other options here unless, you know, we want to armor up a bunch of gnomes and march to war ourselves.
0: That yellow one chimes in again and says I I still believe vengeance would be sweet if it was served in a very reflexive way. That gold dragon that we had talked about, and one of them. And all of a sudden they all go quiet again. And says, "Like I said, the experiments we had in the past are one thing, but if this means we're gonna have to look, we gotta just come clean about this, okay?" And then the one that clears his throat, the uh, uh, purple one, sort of leans forward again and says, "We don't need to speak about what has happened in the past. Experimentation has its limits, and we made a mistake, okay?" I mean, if you're holding out on a dragon
1: on us, uh, that would that solve a lot of problems.
0: And with that, the purple one leans in and says, well, it's not so much a dragon anymore as it is a... Uh, that's not very important. Ronnie, were you going to say something?
3: I only worry dragons are intelligent creatures.
0: Not unless,
3: this one. Well, Spend all its money on one? internet
0: stock. I'm just kidding. Um, but with that, yeah, this one, this one doesn't behave like other dragons. He says kind of smug, and you can see the... Uh, the, the same gnome from before, who had much of a problem with the bugs being sent off to their deaths, crosses arms again and says, At one point in time, this dragon was very brilliant, very friendly, and gave us many gifts. And our return was experimentation.
3: How did you manage to experiment in a dragon?
0: Well, the dragon sure didn't get any sort of acknowledgement that this was going to happen. We figured it would be a surprise. Right. And they all look over at the blue one again. And Cabalop just says... I wasn't even in that group. That's a different class. Totally different group. I may have been an understudy who helped write the thesis on the matter, but that's a totally different story. I'm not even first name on the draft. I get a little small part. They initialed my last name, Kablop C, which could have been very easily mistaken for Kablop B. I I think we should cite our sources on this.
1: What actually happened with this dragon? Well, you see...
0: and says, I mean, they're already this far along. And so they all kind of look back and forth at one another and they say, we were trying to find a way to create a form of new currency that we could use to mint it ourselves and make some sort of way to really leave our impact in the economy. And the best way we could think of doing that was to take the gold we already had and mint it in a very special way. That, I, you know, <sighs> we had a gold dragon who was our friend and we may or may not have taken their entire hoard and tried to convert the gold into a new form of metal. And it, that metal was not stable. And it may have <clears throat> toxified and destroyed the dragon from where it stood, making it a shambling mass of rusty bones. But the point is, is we all said we were sorry. And the dragon only killed about half of the people we sent in the second time to see what happened. Easy. Anybody could have made that mistake.
3: Are you telling us there's a undead dragon in this mountain?
0: No, you're just inferring based on plenty of details I've provided. I never said anything in fine detail. I just left a lot of clues.
1: Wait, hold on. A dragon survived this to kill people?
0: And with that, they all kind of start to, eh, well, I mean, survive is a strong word. Is there something murderous deep beneath the mountain that would kill you if you went in there and happens to have a whole bunch of treasure, happens to have a draconic sort of look to it? Yes. I don't think it's the same dragon
1: we left. So, unless you suggest that we use this creature as a weapon, I'm not sure that I understand what use this is in our situation.
0: Well, what we minute. found was that the stuff we gave to the metal actually deteriorated all ferrous compounds meaning all steel, all iron, all those things, just sort of turn to dust. So when I say we could use what they used against them, I mean we could probably turn all the Duergar gear into dust, effectively rendering them without armor, without weapons, and basically leaving them just as naked as, well, you guys were. find it That's hard to believe they have. want to defend the whole if they have nothing to defend it with. They would also probably die of some sort of painful death as the uh, compound of may <clears throat> uh, melt their skin and bones and, and whatnot. But the, the point is
1: it, you the you Aspis sure would be fine.
0: Or the aspis like your dragon? All right, well, okay. You know, we may have a bigger <laughs> problem on our hands, but I so, think... That the, the dragon itself is a pseudo-metallic compound, hence it turning to rust, but I think that their blood would just corrode and turn to a dried-up, dusty compound, and I find it hard to believe that most things survive well without their, without their blood, unless you consider zombies, but that, you know, we've got cures for that, too.
3: How, how deep is this dragon under the mountain?
0: Not very. You know, actually, it's kind of sad, really. It wasn't too far off from us, and that's why it was nice. Whenever we needed it, it would fly down to the city. We could ask it many questions. It was a very friendly dragon. And and frankly, could you imagine if we converted all your wealth into an unobtainable wealth that was unbelievably valuable? We basically turned your your loot, your common gold pieces, into 1,000 times its common value. We would have effectively made this dragon the richest dragon in all the land we just messed up a little bit
3: does the hoard still exist
0: well if it does it's a pile of dust but i mean hey one man's dust is another man's fine metal i take that back that, that, that dust is not worth anything to anybody but gemstones are fine that's true enough and i'm sure you know maybe there's some some nice rocks down there that's always good
1: so, what you're saying is, you think that you could recreate uh, this compound and it wouldn't have the exact same effect on the Druger as it did on the dragon. Uh, we we no. won't be stuck with a bunch of undead Druger, just dead ones.
0: No, like we had said before. I mean, the, the point is, is the dragon is sort of made of metal itself and for that reason turned to a rusty pile, somehow staying alive through magic. But the Duogar just. A, you know, just like us, just piles of blood, and meat, and skin and bone. You can see that one gnome who had a problem with the deaths, the, the philo- philosopher gnome, as we shall refer to it, begin to turn a little bit green, about to get sick, referring to us all as a bunch of bags of meat and blood. But with that, he says, I'm pretty sure anybody would die from such a thing, which is why most of the gnomes who went back in there to go apologize never came back with that fruit basket. It was a really great fruit basket, too. No honeydew? Well, I mean... Well, we don't really have honeydew over here. We got this really great melon that the ogres grow. Makes you very sleepy, but it's it's really rad. And Aldo says, you can ferment it, too. And when you say you get messed up, I mean you get three sheets to the... But anyway... And so with that, the gnomes just kind of say, I mean, at the end of the day, if you were to go there and collect some of that compound, we could just recreate it. And using a gaseous dispenser like we would with the pheromones, we could effectively disperse it in the compound. It's just that we would probably kill everything inside of there, except for the aspas, because, you know, their bodies are very much so better at filtering that kind of caustic thing as they're not much more than a distant cousin of the uh, rust monster itself. So, you know, that kind of renders them pretty safe in that whole regard. But I'm afraid every statue made of metal, every weapon, every gold piece, everything, perhaps the majority of all the things that are very valuable down in the Dwarvish Hall will be rendered to cat litter. But hey, no Aspis had to die.
1: Yeah, what's I'm better just than have a certain Justice to it. Considering what happened to the dwarves, they would definitely understand the message.
0: And so, would that? I don't know if that last part about all the wealth of the dwarves sink, you know, turning to absolutely yeah, yeah, nothing. Norhill
1: does certainly look very grim about that.
0: Anybody else have anything to say about that?
2: That's going to be a lot of dust to clean. <laughs>
0: Oh, I didn't even think about that. Klika's anxiety about all the dirt <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> like just dunes of dirt. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yes. the The loss of what treasures remain in the halls would be great, but uh, the worst is to leave our home in enemy hands. Uh, statues can be recarved, coins can be reminted, but the. Yeah, uh, uh lives can cannot be restored except under extraordinary circumstances
3: i only wonder the historical where would where would they have come in the first place why not
1: we'd have to find that out after retaking the halls (laughs) making a careful search of everywhere
3: I suppose this may be our best chance if maybe there's a way to perfect the compound.
0: The blue gnome chimes in and says, I could put something of a neutralizing component into the gaseous dispenser and put something of a timed effect before the capsule breaks and and releases the neutralizer. Perhaps we put a month timer on it, and after a month's time of that sitting in the air, we put something in to sort of neutralize the compound itself. Maybe, maybe that would be our best bet. What do you think, a month's time?
1: That should be plenty of time to chase any druger back down to wherever they came from and not want to come back anytime soon.
2: So the halls would be uninhabitable for a month, then? Well, to everybody except for the Aspis. That's
0: a lot of dust. So, with that in mind, the party has essentially three options available. To utilize the pheromones, to utilize the rust stuff, I don't even know what you want to call it, that caustic rust juice, or just to try to push back and send in militarized forces. And with that, the Gnomish Council kind of looks to have something of a recess to discuss everything and dismisses you guys to a little antechamber here to talk amongst yourselves about what the best choice is.
1: Yeah, uh, Norhill is going to send uh, the guild dwarf uh, that had come from the council uh, back to the other dwarves to see if he can find out anything about what the drugger might've been looking for uh, and to send somebody to you know relieve him for further sessions.
0: Okay. So we'll say that the party kind of has a little recess for a couple hours while all this is going on, um, where you guys are given plenty of food. Uh, the way that I would describe the gnomish food here, the little Cordale food, is because they're right on the water and they've made good use of their space on the water. It's pretty much a plate of extravagant, like raw fish, as well as vegetable delicacies gotten from under the ocean, as well. It's, it's just a very sharp, stingy kind of food with plenty of like really potent and like explosive flavors. Many things have a very strange texture to them and things bursting in your mouth, things oozing, things being kind of fuzzy on the tongue. Lots of things that taste kind of staticky and strange, but overall it's an experience more than anything. And because of the small tapa style kind of, sorry, tapa style of like meal here where it's just tons of little dishes to explore, it makes for good food to eat while discussing this matter so in the time that the uh the guys gone little messenger there the guild master uh, what would you guys like to talk about with all this
2: um well Kleka doesn't really like any of the choices, but Klikka feels really bad for that dragon.
1: So. Indeed, but maybe some good can come can come of the situation.
0: going to say does anybody else have any opinions on what's going to happen because i would imagine norhill in this position is looking towards all of his allies here to help him make the choice rather than just sort of like as lord of the hall make the final decision and not consult everybody you
1: know what i mean yeah no, no norhill seems uh, pretty grim but he's sort of sort of you know looking around you know for somebody to give him you know any reason and like talk him out of it
2: Cleekha would like the chance to maybe try to talk to the Aspie Queen Think. and maybe convince her that her people would have a better future with the dwarves than the Dwargar. But that's, that's just Cleekha. I mean,
1: yeah, maybe you could offer him a treaty or something. If an alliance is possible, that would be ideal. I, mean, I, w- I would much prefer to decide this in a traditional battle of people who are willing to take part rather than do whatever this is.
0: Yeah, rather than force them
1: to go crazy. Again, the words
0: kind of ringing through your mind is what that one philosopher gnome had mentioned about this, the very slight difference between you guys and the Herald of Steel or the Duergar at this point. By using Aspis as, as like a pawn in this whole fight, you know what I mean, and it kind of rings true with what Jarzak says that it's like by forcing anybody into this is just not gonna make things feel any better, you know. What about Anton? Any wisdom from our cleric? Oh,
3: not that I can think of, at least at this time.
2: Fair enough. Which one of the choices do you like best?
3: <sighs> Anton's just kind of like, he isn't, he's not, he's worried at what the onslaught will be. If there's that much, it, he already knows there's a grave down in the halls. Just to make a bigger grave is kind of disturbing.
0: Um it would be kind of sad he, to have the hall get that haunted it, after exactly. all exactly
3: and Anton's just like a part of me wonders if we could just find whatever they're looking for and have them leave that that could be a possibility but I think that's wishful thinking at this point
1: um maybe he just, she just
3: wishes a way to use that dot to use like that similar tactic but not in a way that was lethal even as if they were they took in something and it was more hallucinogenic. They saw something and ran. Illusions of sorts. Well,
1: just it because is. we have a weapon it's doesn't it. mean we don't have to use it. What about a bluff?
0: I imagine they're still gonna want to try and get whatever it is
1: they're there for. Okay. So. Uh so a band-aid solution is probably not the best because they're just gonna come back for what they
0: came looking for if we scare them off, I think.
3: I think we need to figure out what it is regardless oh, and give it yes, to them or definitely. We don't. Uh,
0: and maybe get it out of the hall so that they're no longer interested in being there. And so, After much discussion, the messenger returns with Norhill's father. And at this point, Norhill's father mentions that I had heard long ago, many of the dwarves had heard. The history of our hall is not one that is easy to palate, but it is one that we had fought hard for and we had to earn our position. The dwarves were at one point the slaves of the Duragar. And to earn our freedom, they took the sacred hallowed object and used it against their captors. A greater enemy had always been on the doorstep of the Duragar, an unfathomable foe that held them in line, which caused the demand for us. We don't know exactly what it was, but legend says that as long as we hold possession over that one item, They will never be able to resist their captors. And for that reason, they will always be trampled underfoot. They speak of a foe older than time and strange as all. And whatever it is, the Durgar genuinely fear it. Nobody really knows what it could be. But legend has it that many of the dwarves don't remember much of their captivity. And none of them really remember what had happened in the Durgar Halls as if something had erased much of their thought. Many of those dwarves who came to the hall were not like normal dwarves. And only in generations that came was the dust sort of shaken from their minds and they were free to be the dwarves that they once were. Whatever object it is, it is ancient and powerful and potentially holds the, the freedom of the duergar in check. But nobody would know where such a thing is or where it was hidden. And I imagine if we were to know, we would have to search deep within the annexes of the Dwarvish lords. And I'm afraid we don't have that kind of time. I hope Jarzak's getting a twinge in his mind right now. With a certain reflection on a blade that he had. And he has like a weird painful memory of squid lips looking back down at him from the ceiling. Yep. There's <laughs> that good old jerk. Yep. There you go.
1: A powerful bargaining chip, then, if it could be found, and a bluff might buy us just enough time to find it.
0: If the weapon is as truly powerful as people have said it is, I think they would know that you would not know where it is. A weapon that I speak of is one that can combat those from From realms unknown. It is a weapon of gods. I'm sure they would know you have no idea what it is. For if you did, you might use it against them. Yeah, that sounds pretty impossible.
1: (laughs) A weapon that can stop gods?
0: (laughs) <laughs> Jarzak just finds it for Valaketh and just Valaketh shows up and you're like and just eradicate the deceiver like man that was fucking easy <laughs> campaign's
1: done yeah, but, uh, well what I mean is the gnomes have offered uh, to create us a weapon that would destroy all metal in the halls uh, including the Drugar's weapons and armor uh, the, the, so, you know, leaving most of them dead or wh- whoever survives will likely flee So what I'm saying is we have that prepared and in hand, and we can use the mere threat of it to force them from the halls and you'll hold them long enough to locate whatever this is that the Drugar are looking for and use that as a bargaining chip to broker something more permanent.
0: You would try to broker peace with them? Such as it's worth. You think that we, they would? We don't, take we don't have the
1: numbers to fight to fight them head on.
0: And he looks around at everybody else in the room and he says, "Do you all really think you could have a conversation with them at this point? If your entire people were hinged on the brink of extinction, and the only thing that would save you is one single device, do you really think you'd be willing to bargain for such a thing, or would you fight tooth and nail to protect your people?" You know, that he gives kind of a knowing look as if like, hey, remember that whole thing that literally happened?
1: Yeah, that that all of course is assuming that the uh, Drugar are reasonable, which I do not believe.
0: Perhaps. He says, You forget I was there in the in the battle as well. Before your friend, and as he kind of nods over at Anton and says, before he rallied the people, I mean, we saw the look. We saw them wanting what they came for. As much as I think they're unreasonable. I think they might be desperate enough. But unfortunately, all we can offer is a bluff.
1: But to either lead more people to their deaths or to destroy all the treasures in the halls, you understand why I would think of any other solution were it viable.
0: And so with that, he puts a hand on you and he sort of gives a glance with a little twinkle in his eye And he looks over at Jarzak and Klika and over at Anton and he says, I've seen many things since I've been down there. I've lived a long life. But if there's anything I know, seeing you return back to the hall, my boy, having your son see you and your wife, the treasures of the hall aren't in the hall anymore. We're all that we've got. And our history doesn't need to be written in stone It doesn't need to be taken down on metal objects and trinkets and weapons of war. The treasure of the hall left the hall, and it can go back once it's safe. And I think you know this to be true. You didn't go home so you could find your weapons. You went home for us. And he looks around at everybody else and says, and I think you could all say the same about yourselves.
2: Sika does think that if we are able to make this rust air thing, it would be a pretty powerful weapon against the armies of the Herald of Steel as well, who we're going to have to face sooner or later. And if we're able to disperse that. A lot of those sword and rust monsters might just fall apart. Maybe even the Herald of Steel will succumb.
1: Mm. Yes, but to unleash something like that on an open battlefield, uh, the, that would kill our allied compo- uh, our allied combatants just as much as it would kill the Herald's people. Um, and if the gnomes, uh, as the gnomes describe it, it's a bad air. There's no reason to think that it would be just as effective in the open as it would in the halls. This is a weapon of vengeance against the juror specifically built for this situation. And that's probably as it should be.
0: And so at this point, expecting something of like a, a person to come in and ask you guys to come back to the council to discuss this instead. Aldo comes running in, huffing and puffing and panting and sort of leaning on the walls to kind of keep himself upright. And he comes in and he's huffing and puffing under his breath. And he says, the Hamlet's outside of Entin, They're under attack. Strange beings, metallic beings, slaughtering the innocent. Please, you must go now. And that is where we're going to end it. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in, and if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or you can even send me an email at youngbrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things
1: do